Hello, and welcome to The Essential Reads. My name is Isaac, and my goal is to bring to you a bunch of classic audiobooks in an easy and accessible way. That has been the first time doing that in a couple of months, because as you can now see, if you've watched the other videos, you'd already maybe know, but for this book, this is the first chapter I am recording in the new studio, um, which is very exciting. Um, it has allowed me to do some cool things, such as, finally, after many months of promising, start a Patreon. So if you would like to support me there, you can, and you will have access to special audiobooks that I cannot publish on YouTube, such as The Alchemist by Pablo Caula, which we are currently going through. So if that sounds like something you'd like to listen to, um, support me there. But we are currently going through Huckleberry Finn, and let's see if I can still do this after, I think, two months. Wish me luck. Let's start. Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain Chapter 29 They was fetching a very nice-looking old gentleman along, and a nice-looking younger one with his right arm in a sling. And my souls, how the people yelled and laughed and kept it up. But I didn't see no joke about it, and I judged it would strain the duke and the king some to see any. I reckon they turned pale. But no, nary a pale did they turn. The duke, he never let on he suspicioned what was up, but just went a go-going around, happy and satisfied, like a jug that's googling out buttermilk. And as for the king, he just gazed and gazed down sorrowful on them newcomers, like it gave him the stomachache in his very heart to think there could be such frauds and rascals in the world. A lot of the principal people gathered round the king to let him see they was on his side. That old gentleman that had just come looked all puzzled to death. Pretty soon, he began to speak, and I see straight off he pronounced like an Englishman, and not the king's way, though the king was pretty good for an imitation. I can't give the gents words, nor can I imitate him, but he turned around to the crowd and says about like this. This is a surprise to me, which I was not looking for, and I acknowledge, candid and frank, I ain't very well fixed to meet it and answer it. For my brother and me has had misfortunes. He's broke his arm, and our baggage got put off in a town above here, last night, in the night, by a mistake. I am Peter Wilkes's brother Harvey, and this is his brother William, which can't hear nor speak, and can't even make signs to amount to much now that he's only got one hand to work them with. We are who we say we are, and in a day or two... When I get the baggage, I can prove it. But up till then, I won't say nothing more, but go to the hotel and wait. So him and the dummy started off, and the king laughs and blathers out, It's a lie! Several of them jumped for him and begged him not to talk that way to an old man and a preacher. Preacher be hanged! He's a fraud and a liar! He was up at the pine that morning. I live there, don't I? Well, I was up there. And he was up there. I see him there. He come in a canoe, along with Tim Collins and a boy. The doctor, he up and says, Would you know the boy again if you was to see him, Hans? I reckon I would, but I don't know. Why, you only hears now. I know him perfectly easy. It was me he pointed at. The doctor says, Neighbors, I don't know whether the new couple is frauds or not, but if these two ain't frauds, I'm an idiot, and that's all. 
I think it's our duty to see that they don't get away from here until we've looked into this thing. Come along, Heinz. Come along the rest of you. We'll take these fellows to the tavern and affront them with t'other couple. And I reckon we'll find out something before we get through. It was nuts for the crowd, though maybe not for the king's friends. So we started. It was about sundown. The doctor, he led me along by the hand and was plenty kind enough, but he never let go of my hand. We got a big room in the hotel and lit up some candles and fetched in the new couple. First, doctor says, I don't wish to be too hard on these two men, but I think they're frauds, and they may have accomplices that we don't know nothing about. If they have, won't the accomplices get away with that bag of gold Peter Wilkes left? It ain't likely. If these men ain't frauds, they won't object to sending for that money and letting us keep it till they prove they're all right. Ain't that so? Everybody agreed to that. So I judged they had our gang in a pretty tight place right at the outstart. But the king, he only looked sorrowful and says, Gentlemen, I wish the money was there, for I ain't got no disposition to throw anything in the way of a fair, open, out-and-out investigation of this miserable business. But alas, the money ain't there. You can send and see if you want to. Where is it, then? Well, when my niece give it to me to keep for her, I took and hid it inside the straw tick of my bed, not wishing to bank it for the next few days we'd be here. And considering the bed a safe space, we're not being used to and supposing the monists like servants in England. Then I stole it the very next morning, after I'd went downstairs. And when I sold them, I hadn't missed the money yet, so they got clean away with it. My servant here can tell you about it, gentlemen. The doctor and several said, shucks, and I see nobody didn't altogether believe him. One man asked me if I see them steal it. I said no, but I see him sneaking out of the room and hustling away, and I never thought nothing. Only I reckon they was afraid they'd waked up my master and was trying to get away before he made trouble with him. That was all they asked me. Then the doctor whirls on me and says, Are you English too? I says, yes, and him and some others laughed and said, Stuff. Well, they sailed in on the general investigation, and there we had it, up and down, hour in, hour out, and nobody never said a word about supper, nor ever seemed to think about it. And so they kept it up and kept it up, and it was the worst mix-up you'll ever see. They made the king tell his yarn, and they made the old gentleman tell his'n. And anybody but a lot of prejudiced chuckleheads would have seen that the old gentleman was spinning the truth and t'other one lies. And by and by, they had me up to tell what I knowed. The king, he gave me a left-handed look out of the corner of his eye, and so I knowed enough to talk on the right side. I begun to tell about Sheffield and how we lived there and all about the English Wilkeses and so on. But I didn't get pretty far till the doctor began to laugh and Levi Bell and the lawyer says, Sit down, my boy. I wouldn't strain myself if I was you. I reckon you ain't used to lying. It don't seem to come handy. What you want is practice. You do it pretty awkward. I didn't care nothing for the compliment, but I was glad to be let off anyway. The doctor, he started saying something, and turns and says, If you've been in town at first, Levi Bell, 
The king broke in and reached out his hand and says, Why, is this my poor dead brother's old friend that he wrote so often about? The lawyer and him shook hands, and the lawyer smiled and looked pleased, and they looked right along a while, and then he got to one side and talked low, and at last the lawyer speaks up and says, That'll fix it. I'll take the order and send it, along with your brothers, and they'll know it's all right. So they got some paper and a pen, and the king sat down and twisted his head to one side and chawed his tongue and scrawled off something. And then they give the pen to the duke, and then, for the first time, the duke looked sick. But he took the pen and wrote. So then the lawyer turns to the new gentleman and says, You and your brother, please write a line or two and sign your names. The old gentleman wrote, but nobody couldn't read it. The lawyer looked powerful astonished and says, Well, beats me. And snaked a lot of old letters out of his pocket and examined them. And then examined the old man's writing. And then them again. And then says, These old letters is from Harvey Wilkes. And here's these two handwritings. And if anybody can see, they didn't write them. The king and the duke looked sold and foolish, I tell you, to see how the lawyer took them in. And here's this old gentleman's handwriting. And anybody can tell, easy enough, he didn't write them. The fact is, these scratches he makes ain't properly writing at all. Now, here's some letters from... The new old gentleman says, If you please, let me explain. Nobody can read my hand but my brother there, so he copies for me. It's his hand you've got there, not mine. Well, says the lawyer, this is a state of things. I've got some of William's letters too, so if you'll get him to write a line or so, we can come... He can't write with his left hand, says the old gentleman. If he could use his right hand, you would see that he wrote his own letters, and mine too. Look at both, please. They're by the same hand. The lawyer done it and says, I believe it's so. And if it ain't so, there's a heap stronger resemblance than I'd noticed before, anyway. Well, well, well. I thought we was right on track of a solution, but it's gone to grass partly. But anyway, one thing is proved. These two ain't either of them Wilkeses. And he wagged his head towards the king and the duke. Well, what do you think? That mule-headed old fool wouldn't give in then. Indeed, he wouldn't. Said it weren't no fair test. Said his brother William was the crudest joker in the world and hadn't tried to write. He see William was gonna play one of his jokes the minute he put the pen to paper. And so he warmed up and went warbling and warbling right along till he was actually beginning to believe what he was saying himself. But pretty soon, the new old gentleman broke in and says, I've thought of something. Is there anybody here that helped to lay out my... helped to lay out the late Peter Wilkes for burying? Yes, says somebody. Me and Ab Turner done it. We both here. Then the old man turns towards the king and says, Perhaps this gentleman can tell me what was tattooed on his breast. Blamed if the king didn't have to brace up mighty quick or it squashed down like a bluff bank that the river's cut under. It took him so sudden. And mind you, it was a thing that was calculated to make most anybody squash to get fetched such a solid one as that without any notice. 
because how was he going to know what was tattooed on the man? He whitened a little. He couldn't help it, and it was pretty still in there, and everybody bending a little forwards and gazing at him. Says I to myself, now we'll throw up the sponge. There ain't no more use. Well, did he? A body can't hardly believe it, but he didn't. I reckon he thought he'd keep the thing up till he tired them people out, so they'd thin out and him and the Duke could break loose and get away. Anyway, he sat there, and pretty soon he began to smile and says, Hmm, it's a very tough question, ain't it? Yes, sir. I can tell you what's tattooed on his breast. It's just a small, thin, blue arrow. That's what it is. If you don't look close, you can't see it. Now what do you say, hey? Well, I never see anything like that old blister for clean out-and-out cheek. The new old gentleman turns brisk towards Ab Turner and his part. His eye lights up like he judged he'd got the king this time and says, There, you've heard what he said. Was there any such mark on Peter Wiltz's breast? Botham spoke up and says, We didn't see no such mark. Good, says the old gentleman. Now, what you did see on his breast was a small, dim P and a B, which is an initial he dropped when he was young, and a W with dashes between them. So, P, B, W. Ain't that what you saw? Both of them spoke up again and says, No, nope, we didn't. We never see any marks at all. Well, everybody was in a state of mind now, and they sings out, The whole bottom of us frauds. Let's duck them. Let's drown them. Let's ride them on a rail. And everybody was whooping at once, and it was a rattling powwow. But the lawyer, he jumps on the table and yells and says, Gentlemen, gentlemen, hear me just a word, just a single word, if you please. There's one way yet. Let's go and dig up the corpse and look. That took him. Ahoy! They all shouted, and were starting right off, but the lawyer and doctor sung out. Uh, hold on, hold on. Call it these four men, and the boy, and fetch them along, too. We'll do it, they all shouted. And if we don't find them marks, we'll lynch the whole gang. I was scared now, I tell you. But there weren't no getting away, you know. They gripped us all and marched us right along, straight for the graveyard, which was a mile and a half down the river, and the whole town at our heels, for we made noise enough, and it was only nine in the evening. As we went by our house, I wished I hadn't sent Mary Jane out of town, because if I could have tipped her a wink, she'd light out and save me and blow on our deadbeats. Well, we swarmed along down the river road, just carrying on like wild cats, and to make it more scary, the sky was darkening up, and the lightning began to wink and flitter, and the wind to shiver amongst the leaves. This was the most awful trouble and most dangerousome I was ever in. I was kind of stunned everything was going so different from what I had laughed for. Instead of being fixed so I could take my own time if I wanted to, and see all the fun, and have Mary Jane at my back, and save me and set me free when the close fit come, here was nothing in the world betwixt me and sudden death but just them tattoo marks. If they didn't find them, 
I couldn't bear to think about it. And yet, somehow, I couldn't think about nothing else. It got darker and darker. And it was a beautiful time to give the crowd the slip. But that big husky had me by the wrist, Hines, and the body might as well try to give Goliath a slip. He dragged me right along, he was so excited, and I had to run to keep up. When they got there, they swarmed into the graveyard and washed over it like an overflow. And when they got to the grave, they found they had about a hundred times as many shovels as they wanted, but nobody hadn't thought to fetch a lantern. But they sailed into digging anyway, by the flicker of the lightning, and sent a man into the nearest house half a mile off to borrow one. So, they dug and dug, like everything. It got awful dark, and the rain started, and the wind swished and swushed along, and the lightning come brisker and brisker, and the thunder boomed. But then people never took no notice of it. They were so full of this business. In one minute, you could see everything and every face in that big crowd, and the shovelfuls of dirt sailing down to the grave. And the next second, the dark wiped it all out, and you couldn't see nothing at all. At last, they got out the coffin and began to unscrew the lid. And then, such another crowd and shouldering and shovering as there was to scourge in and get a sight you never see. And in the dark, that way, it was awful. Hines, he hurt my wrist, dreadful, pulling and tugging so. And I reckon he clean forgot I was in the world. He was so excited and panting. All of a sudden, the lightning let go a perfect sluice of white glare, and somebody sings out, By the living jingle, there's a bag of gold on his chest. Hines let out a whoop like everybody else and dropped my wrist and give a big search to bust his way in and get a look, and the way I lit out and shinned for the road in the dark, there ain't nobody can tell. I had the road all to myself, and I fairly flew, leastways I had it all to myself, except the solid dark and the now and then glares and the buzzing of the rain and the thrashing of the wind and the splitting of the thunder, and sure as you were born, I did clip it along. When I struck the town, I see there weren't nobody out in the storm, so I never hunted for no back streets, but humped it straight through the main one. And when I begun to get towards our house, I aimed my eyes and set it. No light there, the house all dark, which made me feel sorry and disappointed. I didn't know why. But at last, just as I was sailing by, Flash comes in the light in Mary Jane's window, and my heart swelled up sudden, like to burst. In the same second, the house was all behind me in the dark and wasn't ever going to be before me no more in this world. She was the best girl I ever see and had the most sand. The minute I was far enough above the town to see I could make the towhead, I began to look sharp for a boat to bar. And the first time the lightning showed me one that wasn't chained, I snatched it and shoved. It was a canoe, and it weren't fastened with nothing but a rope. The towhead was a rattling big distance off, away out there in the middle of the river, but I didn't lose no time. And when I struck the raft at last, I was so fagged I would have just laid down to blow and gasp if I could afford it. But I didn't. As I sprang aboard, I sung out, Out with you, Jim, and set her loose. Glory be to goodness, we're shut of them. Jim lit out and was a-coming for him with both arms spread. He was so full of joy. But when I glimpsed him in the lightning, my heart shot out of my mouth. And I went overboard backwards, for I forgot he was King Lear, and I drowned Arab all in one. And it most scared the livers and lights out of me. 
But Jim fished me out and was going to hug me and bless me and so on. He was so glad I was back and we were shut of the king and the duke. But I says, not now. Have it for breakfast. Cut loose and let her slide. So in two seconds, we went away, sliding down the river. And it did seem so good to be free again. And all by ourselves on the big river and nobody would bother us. I had to skip around a bit and jump up and crack my heels a few times. I couldn't help it. But the third crack, I noticed a sound I know mighty well. And I held my breath and listened and waited. And sure enough, when the next flash busted out over the water, here they come. And just laying to their oars and making their skiff hum. It was the king and the duke. So I wilted right down on the planks then give up. It was all I could do to keep from crying. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please like, comment, share, all that jazz. And if you really enjoyed, do subscribe because there is more to come. And if you really enjoyed and want to support me in doing this, come join me on Patreon where you will have exclusive audiobooks and the things like that. Or if you don't want to pay a monthly thing, you can just give me a super like, which would be really, really cool. Um, yeah. Thank you very much for listening. Let me know what you think of the new studio, and I will see you in a couple days with the next chapter. Once again, thank you, and bye-bye.